Hello and welcome to Rest and Recreation, the work-life balance podcast from workworkwork.works, which is produced by Abyssida. I am your host, Michael Millward. In this episode of Rest and Recreation, our guest is Ava Glass, the author of the new book, The Chase. Hello, Ava. Hi, Michael. Hello. Nice to meet you. Before we start, I have to tell you that I read The Chase and I've got a sort of love-hate relationship with it. Oh, goodness. I'll have to know why. <laughs> well, I got to chapter five and I thought, I thought to myself, I've worked out how this is going to end. You know, I know exactly how this is going to end and I'm going through it looking for all the clues now that confirm my, my way in which it's going to end. So I thought I was feeling very pleased with myself. And then I got to about chapter 14, 15, and I had to change my mind. So I got a little bit annoyed, but I was so convinced I'd won the prize for solving out, you know, how this book is going to end. And then when I got to the actual <laughs> ending, I lost miserably. It was such a surprising way to end a novel. And, but everything came together for me. Everything was there in the book to make, yes, now, it's like an Agatha Christie where you, they, the murderer is revealed by Poirot or Miss, Miss Marples and you sort of think, like, why did I miss that? And that was how I sort of felt reading The Chase. I'd, I'd gone through it saying, oh, yes, I know, I know, I know. And then, bang, it was like, yes, but it all fitted so perfectly together for the ending to be, well, just perfect. I loved the book. Thank you very much for for writing it. It was brilliant. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it. And I'm extremely glad that I fooled you because that is what you want <laughs> from a spy novel. <laughs> it's all about subterfuge, isn't it? And doing unusual things. But you know, the whole of the book, it's, there were so many moments where I just, I should be going to bed, but I'll just read another few pages. It was like, you, I really started to care about this woman who's the main character. The, the book is about the chase, this female not secret agent, not a spy, but an intelligence agent. She's an intelligence agent and she is intelligent. Yes, I I love that. That's a great way of putting it. Oh, I should write a book. I, I really should. But tell us where the idea came from and, and how did the plot develop for, for the chase? Well, it came from several places. And, and that, I think that's sort of how novels work, or they certainly do for me. So several things happened. One, I worked for the government um, 10 years ago, and I worked with counterterrorism officers. I was not one myself. I just worked with them. And I got to see a little of what their lives were like. And at that time, I met a female spy, um, or at least I believe she was a female spy, who fascinated me. She was 28. She was extremely confident and capable. And her story was the thing I wanted to look at. I wanted to understand what it would be like to be her. So that was one of the things. The second thing that inspired it was the attempted assassination of Sergei Skripal, the ex-Russian spy who had nerve agent painted on his door more than 10 years after he left Russia, long after he betrayed all his secrets to the UK, long after he was of any use to anybody. They solely tried to kill him for revenge. And I found that fascinating that a country that Russia in particular has such a long memory and is so unforgiving. So those two elements, the spy I met years ago, 
and the spy they tried to kill fairly recently kind of came together to make the chase. You've got two different, very distinct storylines and then bring that together within the chase. So without giving too many secrets away, because we're, we're spies, so we mustn't, explain a little bit about the plot as well. What, what happens in the chase? So in the chase, the main character is a young 28-year-old spy named Emma Makepeace. Of course, that's not her real name, but it's the name we all know her by. And she's given her first major assignment, and that is to get the son of an ex-Russian spy across London to safety because they know the the agency she works for is aware a Russian assassination squad has attempted to reach and kill his parents who were the real, who were the spies, um, but haven't been able to because they're in protective custody. But he is an adult and they can't force him to be protected. He's now a doctor. He considers himself fully British. He has no memory of Russia where he was born. He's lived his whole life in London. So he doesn't want any part of this world. So he's a reluctant rescue. So Emma has to convince him he's in trouble and then get him across the city without being caught on CCTV camera because the cameras have all been hacked. So they're on the run. They have 12 hours and they have to somehow get across the city on foot. That's the story. And quite a story. It might sound a little bit far-fetched for some people to think like, yeah, okay, this, how does... How does all this come together? But you've explained there is history of these types of things happening and the long memory that some countries have. There's then also the reality of being in London. I've seen reports which have said that there are more international spies, agents operating in London now than there ever were during the Cold War. And of course, London has got surveillance cameras of all sorts of different types all over the city, whether they're controlling or monitoring traffic, trains, road signals, on buses, in taxis. There are all of these cameras all over the city. So how did you go about doing your research? Because the way in which you write the chase reads like it's, well, it's very realistic in the way that it is written, because it's it's not sensationalizing anything. Yes, I knew from the start that I didn't want to make her a superhero, if you know what I mean. Like, she's no stronger or fitter than, than anybody else. She is in good shape. She does have great training. But she's not one of those spies you see in movies who can basically do anything and who have incredible gadgets and can fly their cars over the treetops. That wasn't what I wanted. I wanted it to be like more as I believe it is in real life, more feet on the ground, hands in the dirt, actual risk-taking, bravery, human spying. And that's her specialty. That's the bit that she does best. And there are different kinds of intelligence officers out there. There's the kind that sit in offices with headphones on, listening to conversations or or hacking into various computers around the world. And she does acknowledge that is an option. And in fact, when she's trained, she has to choose which direction to go. And almost everybody in her class of young intelligence officers chooses to go to GCHQ and do the computer kind. And she wants to go the other way. She wants to do the in-person spying, the kind that's the most dangerous. 
that gives me a lot to work with as a writer, putting her in that direction and giving her just the abilities of somebody who's highly trained and in good shape. That's all she's got. She's got a good mind. She's smart. She's quick and she's well prepared. And that's the only thing that can save her. Although when we first meet her, she's doing a very unglamorous, mundane, uh, undercover type of job, which she is really bored with. <laughs> has to be. She's not enjoying being an intelligence officer when we first meet her. She's like, this was not what I signed up for type of person. And she's, she's desperate to get into the real action of what she signed up for. She's She knows exactly the job that she wants to do. She's always wanted to do it. And she's got very good reasons for wanting to do that. But she is also a woman in a traditionally male world as well. Yes, she does work with a lot of men. And I did that intentionally. So her boss is, is male and her and many of her co-workers are. And we get to see what that's like. So one of the things is that it gives her just a tiny bit of paranoia that she's denied some things because they're protecting her. She That's something she's extremely resistant to. She wants to be treated as an equal. And in fact, I think what we learn in the book is she is. She's just understandably concerned that she won't get certain jobs, won't get to do a few things because because she's female, when in fact she thinks she'd be great at it. And she is very good at it for that reason. For women as spies, and women are very good spies, and there are quite a few of them. I mean, I would say at this stage, it's probably 50-50. They make particularly good spies because they are taken for granted so much. And by that, I mean, nobody would assume you were a spy if you're a woman, especially if you're young. I mean, think about it. If you're a young woman, you're definitely not going to think that someone's a spy. If they're like a middle-aged mum, you're absolutely not going to think she could be a spy. And if you're an elderly woman in your 70s or 80s, my goodness, who would think you are a spy? And yet there are spies in all of those categories. So it's actually being a woman is the perfect disguise. I'm thinking Matahari and Odette and all of the brave women who were, went undercover behind enemy lines in the Second World War in Europe and other parts of the world, it's like, but yes, our whole expectation is that a spy, an intelligence officer, is uh, tall, dark, handsome, um, extremely fit, and living a very glamorous life, where, because that's what spies do. But because the mundanity of Emma's life is 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 not hidden in the story either. It's the the going to work, the going home, the eating the things that ordinary people eat, and then when the call comes, she is she has to sort of step up without any warning and without any real knowledge. She just relies upon her training, and the training is is training and training and training and training to make sure that uh, she doesn't have to think in many ways. She's it's it's a habit. It becomes second nature to her to to think and and in ways that people who aren't involved in that community would not think. Exactly. And I don't think it's spoiling it to say that one of the skills that she has in the book is the ability to pick locks. And she has a lock pick kit in her pocket. 
And my sense of that for her and something that she tells Michael, the man she's trying to rescue, when he says, is this something they taught you? And she says, no, there are videos on YouTube. <laughs> and there are. <laughs> but I can see she, Emma, can see this is a skill she needs to have just in case, something she decided for herself that actually, why don't they teach us this? This would be valuable. I'm going to learn how to do it just in case. And, you know, then it does come in handy. So that's the Emma that I created. That's her superpower, I suppose, is that she's constantly thinking about what she needs and what she might need to get a job done. Yeah, it's like I said, she's wanted to do this job. She has very personal reasons for wanting to do this job and she's going to make sure that she's successful at it. And success, of course, also means you've got to survive. You don't know whether you're going to go home or when you're going to go home. I want to go back to the relationships that she has with the men that she is working with, because I think you've you've written those extremely well. You know, she is valued as an individual. The things that she does, or every one of the men that she interacts with, well, maybe not every one of them, but the men that she wants to be respected by, respect her. If she doesn't want to be respected by them, if she doesn't respect a particular individual, she's not bothered what they think of her. She's very strong internally. Yes, I think that's absolutely fair. Yeah. yeah. She's a very strong individual. She's sorted herself out as to what is important to her and decided you know, the role that she wants to do, the value she adds and knows that she's appreciated for by these people. She respects them and she wants to be valued by them. And, and she gets that. It's not an explicit demonstration of respect. It's just that unspoken, we value you as an individual and the contribution that you make. But that comes from, with my HR hat on, the fact that she's taken responsibility for her own career development. She's not moaned about anything not being hers and she's gone out and said, what do I need to be successful? I need that, I'll watch YouTube, I'm going to go and be successful. Yes, she has tremendous initiative and she does know what's needed. This is a job that is sort of natural for her. She was born to do this in a way. She's ended up in the right place, but she always knew what the right place was. And I think it's also a tribute to the men she works with that they respect her and that they could see in her early on that she had that ability, that she was a natural to it. And I think that's one thing that the intelligence service does very well these days is figure out who will be able to handle it and who won't. That's something they've worked on for decades, if not centuries, to get to where they know what kind of person can flourish in this environment and what kind would really struggle. Yes. I like, I like her a lot. I ca I've very quickly started to care about her and wanted her to be successful in the assignment that she'd been given. You lose count of the number of obstacles that are thrown in her path and the ingenuity that she shows in order to to get through each obstacle. The thing is, she's not afraid to ask for help either. She knows, I suppose, her limitations and where yeah, it's sensible to ask someone else for help in this situation. Yes, they're not only... Well, I would start with with Michael himself, because at first he is, um, he's a hindrance and, and he doesn't, he's not accepting or fully understanding the danger of the situation. But then as it dawns on him 
that this is all extremely serious. He relies on her quite completely and she needs him to get better at this. And she makes it clear to him that it's going to take the two of them to get through it. And they're going to have to help each other, that she can't do this on her own. Like she conveys that without patronizing him. And then he becomes almost a partner, like they're almost a team by the end. And he is fighting at her side when things get dodgy. But the one thing she has that he doesn't have throughout the book is this knowledge that there's no way they're going to get across the city without being caught on camera. It's going to happen. She knows this. She knows they're doomed in that sense and that she has to have a plan for when that moment comes. But she never tells him that. She just knows it and she gets on with it and she keeps going, hoping that by the time it occurs, he'll be strong enough and and aware enough that he can help get them out of the problem. And it's not just her trying to trying to do it alone because that she knows is impossible. And it does things come to pass where he's got to he's got to pitch in. This is true. And I think listening to your description of it there, I agree with you. This is a not a partnership of equals because they have different types of knowledge, different types of skills, but it is an, a partnership that works because they don't even really understand the objective in in the same way, but they know that they are they're both in danger and they're going to work together. And it's a journey of discovery, I think, for both of them as well. Did you set out to to create a, a female role model, or is it just something that started to develop as you were writing the character? It's funny. There are so many famous fictional male spies who are admired for their skill and their intellect. There's George Smiley, James Bond, Jason Bourne. We admire them for their quick thinking and their their abilities to move with the blows as they come and to, and to think with absolute fluidity about how to get out of these difficult situations, how to make things better. And I couldn't think of one female spy who fit that description, fictional. I definitely knew I wanted to write a female spy because it is mildly infuriating that, as you mentioned earlier, there are so many real life female spies who match that description. So many extraordinary women who've risked everything for their country. And yet the male writers of the past have not been generous with reflecting them in the fiction. And the thing that is most galling is that writers like Ian Fleming, John le Carré, and Graham Greene, sort of the great trinity of 20th century spy fiction, were all spies in World War II. So they knew about Virginia Hall. In fact, Ian Fleming met her. He worked with Virginia Hall, one of the greatest and bravest spies of that of that time. And yet when they sat down to write fiction, they wrote them out. And that is kind of makes my blood boil because how interesting are female spies? Why would you do that? And I want to sort of set that right in a way by simply writing a female spy who is an equal of Bourne, of Bond, of Smiley, who fits in that category comfortably. She's no better. She's no superhero. She's not smarter. She is just an equal. And that that was definitely a goal. I think you've achieved it. But if you have written someone who is an equal 
to Bond and Smiley and Bourne and all those. And I agree with you. I think I think she is. You give a hint of a, a taster of the second book in this series. Is this going to be um, a series of books? Are you have you got different adventures for Emma Makepeace? planned out going to, into the future. Yes, I, I actually do. I saw this from the beginning in my mind as a series of books. Um, so I have written book two, actually. There was a bit of a publishing lag for book one, for The Chase. It is coming out just quite a bit later after I wrote it. So I had plenty of time to write a second book while I was waiting. So there will definitely be at least three. I'm working on the third one now. Each one can be read alone. It's not one of those series where you must read the first one to read the second. I just hope people do. But it is. it will definitely take Emma out of her comfort zone because we're going to take her out of London now, more into almost traditional spying territory. So in book two, a an MI6 agent has been found dead in his apartment in London. He's been murdered. And the question is clear because of the way he was murdered that it was probably Russian assassins. The, the only problem is there's, there's no motive. There seems no reason. He wasn't involved in any particular cases. So Emma has to find out not just who, but also why. And the why is the key. She finds out who quite quickly, but the why will take her undercover on an oligarch's yacht. So we get to follow her to sort of traditional spying territory, the places where spies go. So Saint-Tropez, Nice and Barcelona, and yeah, it's um, it's it's slightly different in that way. It's nice to know that she she gets some good times as well as the situations that we first meet her in in the chase. <laughs> but if you're building up a, at least a trilogy of these these adventures of Emma Makepeace, then there must be somewhere in your back of your mind that this might actually find its way into a film of some type. So just to give us a flavour of the character of Emma Makepeace. Who do you see playing the role of Emma Makepeace? I've thought about it quite a bit. And I've thought in particular about Killing Eve, that TV series. And the actress who plays Villanette, who's uh, Jodie Comer, she wasn't at all famous before that role. It just sort of her performance leaps off the screen. And I do love her. So I would like someone like that, perhaps someone, not her, but someone not yet discovered, who has that ability to just make you fascinated by a character. Someone like that would be amazing. Sounds very interesting. I must admit, reading The Chase, I am fascinated by Emma Makepeace, her whole backstory, the whole life that she has decided to live, and the adventures that she's she's had that I know about already, and the adventures that she will have in the future. It's I'm a fan. Thank you very much, Ava, for being a guest for a Rest and Recreation podcast. I've really enjoyed talking to you about The Chase and Emma Makepeace. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. And thank you to you for listening to Rest and Recreation, work-life balance podcast from workworkwork.works, which is produced by Abisida. I am Michael Millward, and in this episode, I have been having a conversation with Ava Glass, the author of The Chase. You can find out more about both of us at workworkwork.works. There is a link in the description. If you've liked this edition of Rest and Recreation, please give it a like and download it so that you can always listen. 
To make sure that you don't miss out on future editions, please subscribe. And remember, the aim of all the podcasts produced by Abbasida is not to tell you what to think, but we do hope to make you think. Thank you.